Worship team, what a horrible and awesome song all at the same time. That was really unique. That was good. That was, that was very cool. Yeah, a little bit different. No worries. But it seemed appropriate for this Sunday. I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. All right. Um, thanks. You guys going to get the... That. All right. Good. Hey, I want to be uh, mindful of time this morning. Does anyone have the time? Okay, you guys are like, fool me once. All right, good. Yes, we are in the midst of a uh, series on end times. And um, this is a really interesting Sunday as we look at a portion of the Apostle Paul's teaching from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you brought your Bibles, bring the, turn to those or find those under the seat in front of you. And I wanted to start with a, a question. Have you ever come in contact with a person or had an experience that you recognized the real presence of evil was there? Yes, a number of you have for sure. I was, I was thinking about this as a little bit different removed. It was not when I was in full-time ministry. It was when I was serving in social work. And, and we used to serve, one of the things I did was we, uh, our agency contracted with the police station. If there were runaways or lock-ins, if they were underage and they're at home, we, contra- we had to go in there and do crisis family counseling for families and try and get the youth to return home, whether it was by their decision to run away or they were locked out by the parents. So we'd have to work in all these challenges. So a lot of challenging circumstances. I was thinking of one in particular where there's this family. She was a 17-year-old girl. She didn't want to come in. We bring the mom in. And we spent four hours in the police station trying to get this girl to go back home, and she would not. So we had to put her into temporary foster care and try and work with the family to to reunite the family. Now, I do have a clear conscience because I tried my best to get this teenage girl to go back home with her mom. And yet on the inside, I was saying, on my inside voice, I can understand why she does not want to go home. This mother, there is something going on that's wrong, that's off, that's poison. So we put this teenager into our temporary foster care and a couple days later as I was working with the family, she got on the phone And she began to talk to me and fill me with poison and say, you are responsible for my daughter, her rebellion. You are working against me. You're not only terrible at your job. But you are, are, are undermining me as a parent, as a mother. And I was being dismantled from the inside out. And I realized I needed to get off the phone with this woman. And I said, listen, I 
have a clear conscience. I believe that I did everything that I'm supposed to do. But if you would like, if you have issues with anything that I've done, here's the name and number of my supervisor. Please call her. And I hung up as soon as I could. A couple of days later, I go into the office. My supervisor, Lori, is on the phone. Guess with who? Your buddy. My buddy. And... I did tell her, give some warning, and I had a co-worker, Laura, we all served together in this crisis family. She's talking to this, and all of a sudden, Lori was, she would have been late 40s, a degree in counseling, very capable person, and she's talking to this woman, and all of a sudden, Laura and I are there listening in on the conversation, and we see Lori, our supervisor, freeze up. And her voice begins to quiver and she begins to cry from a phone conversation. And Laura and I are like, get off the phone. We, we have a meeting for you. Get, you have a meeting. And, and uh, Lori was just paralyzed. And we literally gently said, say goodbye. Say good, you have a meeting. And hung up the phone. I thought there is, there's something beyond this woman and her capacity. There's some kind of spiritual element of evil that was there that we came into contact and had to figure out how to manage this family in light of what I believed was very real spiritual Realities. I tell this story because we are right in the middle of this series on end times, and we are going to be talking about evil. We're going to be talking about a man of lawlessness and tribulation, and that this is part of our reality, our world and the scriptural testimony of how things will end. It's interesting. Jesus talks much about the end times, the approaching evil, and he does not want us to be shaken to our core like I was, like my supervisor Lori was. In fact, there's a number of times, four different times that I count in the Gospels where Jesus is talking and he's saying, stand firm. He's encouraging you, stand firm. Mark 13 is a a good example. He says, everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Or the Gospel of John, he's talking about end times and he says, listen, I have told you these things. He gives us the reason why he tells us these things. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will face, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, he's saying this is a reality. I'm telling you, I want to get, I want to get you ready for the times of distress and trial and testing. They will come. And I want you to be ready. In Paul, over a, a, a dozen times, he uses the phrase, stand firm. 
Stand firm. Be ready. Don't be caught unaware. We saw in 1 Thessalonians where he says, friends, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to be ready because this is coming. And he shared a few things that we looked at. Christ will return and we will be caught up the day of the Lord, the the second coming. But apparently that was not quite enough. That didn't resolve all the questions of the Thessalonican church. So he writes a second letter. And that second letter, a lot of the heart of that letter is more about end times. And actually I'm kind of glad that it didn't resolve all the questions of those Christians. So we have Paul's words for us. So we turn now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he's talked about end times when we meet, when Christ returns, second coming, his coming, parousia, and we meet him in the air, but then he backs up, you're going to see in chapter 2. And he's going to say, listen, I want to give you a little bit more of what to watch for and what to look for, how to understand. We're going to try and read the entire chapter instead of just the first seven verses. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. So apparently they were getting some false teaching. Paul is not exactly sure the source of this false teaching, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter. Sometimes there was false letters that were going around, even with the name of the apostle on it, it seems. Asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Someone was teaching that Jesus already came. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until. He's going to say there's a couple of things that will happen prior to. Until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He's going to give us some descriptors of this man. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. He's reminding them of his words. And you now know, and now you know that uh, what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. We're actually not sure what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. What is holding back the man of lawlessness and rebellion? We'll talk about that in a little bit. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth 
and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Again, talking about the second coming of Christ. The coming of the lawless one, interesting coming, same word, parousia, as as he uses for Jesus, he uses for the lawless one. And the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. The lie being that he is God. And all the ways the wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Refusal there. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion, part of the judgment, so that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned and who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Uh, wickedness. Verse 13, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits. They were of the early Christians in the history of the church to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the belief in the truth. Love that verse. Spirit and truth. He called you in this He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we've passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. This letter right here. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. I think we should pray after that. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us your counsel, your wisdom, and your understanding. Thank you, Abba Father, that you know each of us personally and what we need to hear this morning. Would you take these words and would you help each one of us to to walk away with, with what we need, what you're saying to us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, a lot of words here, a lot to cover. Um, I'm not assigning myself an end time to the end time series. No, I'm just kidding. We will we'll go and see what the Lord has for us. But what I thought was important is that one of my desires for this series is that in this very complex, uh, diverse opinion of things that we would be able as simple as if we're out to coffee with a friend We take a napkin and put on that napkin how we believe it would all end. So pull out your napkin, all right? It's awfully small. I had envisioned one of those bigger dinner napkins, all right? But, you know, try and make it work with whatever you can. Now, remember, last week, we talked about the backside of the napkin. Do you remember that? All right? And we talked about... The, the broken age, the church age, 
and the age to come. And that presently we live in between what? The cross of Christ and the second coming of Christ. That there is this dynamic already but not yet reality of the kingdom is spilling into our reality today and yet it will not be consummated until the end. So we live today in the shadow of the cross of God's forgiveness and love and mercy poured out so that we can be wiped clean and have a relationship with the Lord. Yes, we live in the shadow of the cross. And yet at the same time, we, we live in the hope that though we face distress today, Christ will return and he will judge the living and the dead and he will give punishment and reward in light of that. Remember that? It's on the backside, but I'm not going to turn it around. All right, a thousand points if you can create that on the back of your napkin. All right? Yes. Now, the front side of the napkin, let's do this. Let's put a line across our napkin. And let me put the parts that are not hotly debated regarding end times. That would be church age, where we live. And it would be age to come. All right, that's it. Everything else is hotly debated. Everything else I put on the napkin is going to be hotly debated, okay? The reality is, is the testimony of Scripture is how we live today will not always be. That there will be a great transition into that. How we get there is what is hotly debated. And one of the principles I like to live by interpretively is this. After all the reading and study and research, if I were to find myself stranded on an island by myself with only the scriptures, what do I think they say about end times? That's what you're going to hear. This is my best understanding. What that is. So write this down. You can debate with me in whatever way you want, but I'd encourage you to write this down and think about this. This is the best way I understand it. I believe that our church age will enter into the tribulation. This is one of the theologies that I really, really hope I'm wrong about. Some believe, they call it pre-trib, that the church will be raptured out and into heaven before the tribulation begins. Boy, I'd love if that is true. That's not how I understand the scriptures. Some would say mid-trib. I'd take half mid-trib. I'm all good with that. It's not how I read scripture. Believe that we, the church, who are alive, will experience tribulation. And that part of the tribulation is rebellion and apostasy and the man 
of lawlessness that we are going to talk about today, giving context to Paul's words. At just the right time, Jesus comes. And we say, hallelujah. At just the right time, he comes. And as we read from 1 Thessalonians, um, that we will be caught up in the sky with him. There is a caught up nature. I don't believe that we are caught up. Part of the debate is when we meet Jesus in the sky, do we go back into heaven or do we come to earth? Some believe that we go back into heaven and then tribulation begins. Again, that would be awesome. That's not how I read scripture. I think that we are caught up and then we rule in the millennium with Christ. And I can't ever spell this correctly, so let's see if we can get this. Oh, millennium. I put a P on there. <laughs> Be wrong. All right. And of course... If you've been a part of the church, you should know what we're all driving in the millennium. The falcon, the millennium falcon, all right. That's my little contribution to end times theory, all right. So, yes, uh, millennium. We'll talk more about this half next week. At the end of the millennium will be the great white throne and there will be judgment. And there will be reward. The enemy will finally be defeated completely and thoroughly. And then the age to come. A new heavens and a new earth fully and completely. We'll talk more about this side. Today, we'll talk more about that side. All right. Now, I could be wrong on any aspects. In fact, look at your neighbor and say, pastor could be wrong on this. Look at your other neighbor and say, it would be the first time. <laughs> no, you don't have to say that. Just my wife. Ken, sweetie, if you could say. No, no, no. So again, we approach this with great humility um, because we don't have the details necessarily and there's good godly Christian folks that would argue timing and happening and all of that and I respect them some of my best friends have very different views of the end times and, I, and they love Jesus and they're pursuing Jesus and God is going to, is using them and is using, I, I understand that when I get to heaven, he will correct my theology, right? I also understand when you get to heaven, he will correct your theology, Yes. Praise God, he draws straight lines with crooked sticks, right? So again, it's okay to disagree, but not to be disagreeable. 
in this. And I want to encourage you, listen, kind of enter into the story and entertain the idea despite what you've understood or believed and just kind of enter in and, and, and feel it for a while and see what you think. When, I, when I'm talking to you, my, the, my perspective would primarily be called classical premillennialism or historical premillennialism. That doesn't mean something to many of you, but for some of you it does, okay? Now, here's a few things that have been really helpful to me in terms of end times, and I want you to, to share in this. One thing is this, that what's helped me in end times theology has been kingdom theology. In kingdom theology, we believe, as we talked about last week, that we live in an already but not yet reality. The kingdom of God has been introduced and is spilling over through the life of Christ, but it's not fully here yet. It will be, it will be fully consummated when he returns at the second coming. Okay? Now, I believe that evil is working in a similar way. That evil is a reality that has been with us since the beginning. Some would use archetypes, this ancient, the, the motif, a, a reality. And I believe that it will be, maybe not consummated is the right word, but in the person of the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness, there will be a crescendo and a climax of evil at the end of time. That there is, what has helped me so much, an already present but not yet fully expressed coming of evil. Paul is saying you are experiencing persecuted now to the Thessalonians. And he's saying to all his churches, and to you and I, you are, some of you are experiencing tribulation and distress and struggle and even lawlessness. He's saying that is part of our reality today and that is a sign. It points us to what is coming. Rebellion and tribulation have a climactic moment in the redemptive history of God. When you read Jesus' words of the coming apocalypse, we won't read all of, of, of 24, but he says this. Um, he says, uh, signs of birth pains. He talks of deception of false messiahs, of wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 6 and 8. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. 
part of your reality and the church age today, but the end is not here yet. The beginning, these things you're experiencing are, yes, part of the spirit of evil, spirit of the Antichrist and tribulation. I always like this analogy. It's helpful. Perhaps women connect with it more than men. But Braxton Hicks, do we know what Bra- Braxton, yep. Braxton Hicks are? Yes, they are. They are birth pains that you can happen, and you can have those, as I understand, in the second trimester, right? And as I understand it, it's the body, the woman's body going, oh, hey, hey, just letting you know it's coming. Are you ready? Right? And some women go to the hospital and they're like, hey, this is happening. Your first time mom? Yes, yes, yes. Right? So signs of what is to come. Right? Signs of what is to come. That's what Jesus is talking about. What Paul is talking about is that these are signs. He says, don't be alarmed by them, and may they bring an awareness and an understanding. We're not to say, God, God what has happened? When we look at the news and, and these horrible events, and we go, God, have, have you lost control? What, what is happening in the, in the Middle East? You say, I, I, I told you what would happen. I'm, I'm telling you what has happened. Evil is present in the world and it is growing. These are signs of the times. Let it raise your awareness. Let it wake you up so that, as we talked about last week, you are not asleep in the night. Things, I believe, will get worse before they get better. And the horrible things that we see in church history oftentimes, and the horrible people, like the Hitlers and the Stalins, they are, to one degree, prophetic foreshadowing, preparing us, reminding us of the words of Christ. Do you remember uh, the phrase, the war to end all wars? That was first, I guess, uh, spoken by the British author H.G. Wells because there was people who felt at the World War that it would lead finally to the destruction of the sorts of broken government and attitudes that caused war. The funny thing is he said that not about World War II but about World War I. I don't think World War I was the war to end all wars. That'd be great, be awesome. I don't think World War II was the war to end all wars. It was part of this prophetic foreshadowing, an experience of seeing the distress, distress, distress and destruction of the world. Listen, I'm, I, I'm dialoguing and I, I, I don't want to get lost in, in, the wo- uh, in the weeds too much here, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of a glimpse. If you're not into end times, you can kind of fade out for just a moment, but then come back in, all right? So, so there is a school of thought called amillennialism 
or preterism that believes that much of this is symbolic and that we have experienced much of this already. That much of Paul, that would be great if it would be true. That it, the tribulation and the man of lawlessness would be over here and that's behind us. Um, some great Christian people believe that to be true. I, I don't think it is. That's not how I read scripture. Primarily because the man of lawlessness is defeated by the second coming. That we see, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Daniel, whether it's Paul, we see the defeat of the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist in the return of Christ. Okay? All right, now come back in. Persecution, deception. Paul, in many ways, in his letters, he's talking about false teachers and a different gospel in another epistle he writes. But then he also writes this in 1 Timothy 4.1. <clears throat> this is, seems to be fresh revelation from the Spirit to Paul. He says, the, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. I think the, re the reader, Timothy, could have been like, Paul, didn't you say that's happening now? Yes, it is happening now. But in, in, in the later times, it reaches this crescendo that, that evil is growing. But again, don't be alarmed. We are experiencing these now. But God is in control. God is on his throne. God will give you peace. The second school of thought that I'm kind of arguing with, and it's called dispensational premillennialism. All right? Now just fade out for just a moment if you're not interested in this. All right? And if you take your napkin, that would mean that we are raptured here. And there's a secret rapture, right? Have you ever seen the, the, the bumper sticker that says, in case this vehicle is unmanned, the rapture has happened? Right, so the idea where guys driving along and hey, Martha, where are you? What happened? Right, no clue. That's that's the Tim LaHaye, the the you know end time stuff that that happens. There's a, a few issues I have with that. One is again, if we look back at Paul, do you remember the 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 voice of the archangel, the the loud command and the trumpets. I don't think there is going to be any doubt in anyone's mind that Jesus has come back. I think we're going to know it. Whether we are Christian or non-Christian, there is no secret coming. We are not caught up into heaven to let the rest of the world battle it out. That everyone will know. Again, that's my reading. 
I could be wrong. One other thing about dispensationalism, I know many of you, if you've read the Tim LaHaye series or watched the movies, so forth, one thing I profoundly disagree with is the separation of Christian Gentiles and the Jewish believers. That they believe that the church is caught up and it's the Jewish believers that become Christians that, uh, that will eventually go through tribulation. At the bottom of your outline, I've put a number of scriptures. I could have put a lot more that I don't believe is justified in saying that there's two programs of salvation, one for the Jews, still from the Old Testament, and for Gentile Christians in the New Testament. I think, and that's what is the basis of, of much dispensationalism and what changes this articulation. Again, it gets us out of the tribulation, so I would not mind being wrong on this particular circumstance. I'm sorry, my perspective is probably the most depressing one of all of them, but it's the best way I understand Scripture. Again, you can disagree with me, read those scriptures, buy me lunch, I'd be happy to eat lunch and correct your theology. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ongoing discussion, but... Okay, dial back in. All right. Now, there is this idea of already but not yet the coming of evil that's not only the presence of evil but also related to the man of lawlessness also related to the Antichrist. I believe that they are one in the same. Some don't. I actually found a movie clip. Let's see if we can make this work. I think we, should we give it a shot? Well, let's give it a shot. All right. So if, if it's from the Lord of the Rings, if you're not familiar with the Lord of the Rings... Are you a Christian? <laughs> but anyways, if you're not familiar with the Lord of the Rings, you, you've got Frodo and Sam, and they've just finally got the ring into Mount Doom, and it's destroyed, but lava is happening, and they can't get away, and the, the clip is the end of all things. And it's done, it's the end, it's the, they're through the trial, the difficulty, and the tribulation. And now they're reflecting. So let's watch this.
see the shine. Randy Wine River. Jesus on the age, or I mean Gandalf. Okay. Huh? Huh? Okay, all right, there you go. That scene took place right here. And then Christ returned. A few more words about the man of lawlessness. Look at verse 7 again in our text. It says, The secret power of lawlessness is already at work. 1 John 2.18 is talking about the Antichrist and says, Dear children, this is the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming even now. Many Antichrists have come. We're seeing the presence and the evil at work. But stand firm, be strong. There is a crescendo. Just a few words about the identity of the Antichrist been told or identified the various popes as the Antichrist. Barack Obama was one, a strong one. I've heard Donald Trump, right? Look and read his description, what he looks like. I believe he is a figure yet to be introduced into history as a military and a political leader, a religious leader, and we're to be mindful of his reality. Jesus talked about him, says Matthew 24. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomina abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, I do believe, I could be wrong, that the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. 
Again, I could be wrong. I'm looking for that reality. I pay attention to the Middle East. Let me share a few words of you of how we stand firm in light of that. I say we do the opposite of what was spoken about of believing the lie. We reject the lie that there is anyone who is God besides God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 4, 6 says this, Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her. And she will watch over you. She will protect you and watch over you. I, I read an analogy from a commentator I liked very much. He said that the FBI agents who are trained to spot counterfeit money or currency, do you know how they train for that? They don't study the counterfeit stuff. You know what they study? The real deal. They know it inside and out. Friends, there will be false teaching. There will be people, deception and lies from the enemy. Study the real deal. Study the truth. Be a person of the book. Wrestle, discuss, even disagree, but, but know and know. And go to the points. Read Daniel. Read Revelation. Read Jesus on this. Read Paul on this. Know the truth. Study the real deal. The wisdom will watch over you and protect you and help you learn to identify truth and falsehood. Yes? Second, we cooperate with the work of the Spirit in us. Love that verse from this text. And it says that we are the first fruits and saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Pay attention. This, all of this is outward. All of this is in the world. All of this is happening. But do you know simultaneously where God is bringing profoundly the kingdom of God? The sanctifying work within don't get so lost in the details and the politics and the predictions and all of that that you miss what is going on within you. What he's doing is he's wanting to sanctify you and prepare you for the truth. Again, 1 Thessalonians 3.13, listen to what Paul says. May he, the Lord, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He is working in you right now within, preparing you, wanting to work and shape and mold and heal and restore. So we pay attention to those kingdom dynamics. I felt led to, to add this as the very end of this message. I was going to save it for next week, but there's a question that I always have with end times theology. 
why all of this, God? Why? Can't you just come back and get rid of the stinking enemy? Why all the tribulation and the struggle and the rebellion and the difficulty and the pain? Do you ever ask that? And this is the, the one answer that I've come up with from the words of Jesus. It's from a parable. The wheat and the weeds. It says this, Jesus told them another parable. The, the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owners... Servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your, in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? God, why, why didn't you make the, the world good? Why so much pain and distress and struggle? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Get rid of the weeds. Why all this, God? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together. The wheat and the weeds. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell you the harvest, tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, and tie them up in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into barns. Friends, I believe all of this, in part, I don't understand it fully, but there's yet that he's calling to him. It's because of grace and mercy and the love of those who are still distant from him, that don't know him, that do not love him. He's allowing the weeds to grow until someday when all who have been chosen are brought into the kingdom of God. Then, finally, he explains the end of the parable of the wheat and the weeds few verses away, he says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Stand firm. Trust that God has purpose and meaning behind all of this, that God is over our history, that God is at work even in the times of distress and tribulation, now and in the future, he's got it. Trust him. Trust him. He will bring good through all things. Let's pray. So, Father, we praise you that you are over all things, 
that you are in control, that there is no enemy, there is no distress or pain or struggle that has not been sifted through your fingers. That you know us and love us and are actively at work at the restoration of all things. In your name we pray. Amen. The elders, please come forward and do communion by intinction. And each section you have, you can go to a station, leave to your right, take the elements right there, and then return to your section, your left. After that, if you need to go, I know we went a little bit long today, you can go. It was the night in which Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and after he blessed it and gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar way, after dinner, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Not only at this cup do we look back at the sacrifice of Christ, his forgiveness and mercy, but also we proclaim in hope that he is coming back to heal fully and completely all things, to wipe every tear away, and that we would be with him forever. If you are a follower of Christ, all is ready. Would you come and partake?